Welcome to Summer Playlist. We're kicking it off today, excited about the next few weeks. And uh, my name is Pastor Dan. I'm one of the, pa the uh, pastors here at Timber Creek Church. What an honor uh, to get to share with you today. So thankful. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for the honor and the opportunity to, to preach today. I uh, really believe that God's got something to say to us. want to welcome everybody here in Lufkin, those in Nacogdoches, our Groves campus, everybody online. Come on, put your hands together. Let's welcome each other, the church today. If this is your first time with us, we want to uh, say thanks for investing part of your weekend with us. And if you would take a few moments and fill out the connect card in the seat back pocket there, and you can drop it in one of the offering boxes on the way out today. Uh, we just want the opportunity to get to know you, put some information into your hands about, you know, everything that the Timber Creek Church is and, and the opportunity to, uh, to invite you to make this your church home. We think this place is pretty legit. We think it's pretty fun. We, uh, we believe in the scripture that says, thou shalt not make church boring. I don't know where it's at, uh, but it's in there somewhere. How many of you would admit this morning that you're the type of person, I know I'm not the only one, you're the type of person that when you're driving in your car and your song comes on, you throw a party you get out, it's like any stage would love to have you because you know how to jam to your song. Am I the only one in the room? Anybody else? You do a little bit of dashboard, steering wheel, thumping, air guitar playing. When my song comes on in the car, I'm that guy sitting at the stoplight, throwing my hands up in the air, waving them around like I just don't care. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, those people drive me nuts. Uh, that's my wife. That's my wife. She's like, why do you have to beat on everything? What, it, there's a constant beat in my head. I was raised by a father who was a percussionist and loved jazz music and loved all kinds of music. And so we constantly had music playing in our house. It's just ingrained in me. I, I walk to a certain beat. Anybody else? Like, I just, there's music playing in my head all of the time. In fact, I can remember as a young kid uh, driving in my dad's car, me and my three siblings, and, uh, and uh, our song would come on in the radio. Uh, it was a favorite song for our family. Uh, it was by a, a band named Queen. I know you don't know who that is. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The, man, we, we are in church, I promise you. We are in church. The band's gonna come out and play that song for us later. But that song would come on, and if you know the song, about halfway through, like the beat drops and you start headbanging to the song. And so all of us are in the car headbanging. Now this is back in the day, some of you young folks don't know what I'm talking about, but you had to call in and request the song. And then you had to wait to see if they would play your song. And more often than not, by the time you reach your destination, hey, this song goes out to uh, one of our fans, requested by Dan, Bohemian Rhapsody. And you're like, no, we're already here. <laughs> and I missed my song. But when that song would come on, man, the whole car, I I'm telling you, I have neck injury from the headbanging that we would do to that song, and when it would come on, we're all headbanging. Now, it's, it's one thing to do that if you're like, if you have a cool ride. 
You know what I'm saying? If you've got a, a jacked up truck or you've got a really cool souped up uh, 69 Chevelle Supersport and you're jamming out, people are like, that guy right there, he's got it going on. Uh, but we didn't have that. We had one of these. <laughs> Does anybody know what that is? That's a Yugo. Yugoslavia made one car and they sold one car in the United States and my dad bought it. And so, as you can imagine, all of us crammed into that car, headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, throwing our hands up in there. Isn't that funny? Like, we just do it. Uh, recently, I was at, uh, at a concert with my wife, and we were in Dallas, uh, went to see Lady A in concert at one of these beautiful um, uh, venues, and uh, just not a bad seat in the house, except for the one that I was sitting in. Because a lady, uh, no offense to anybody wearing hats in the service today, you're welcome to wear hats in the service, but she was sitting in front of me with this big old rimmed hat. And every time her favorite song, which happened to be every song, she would throw her hands up and her phone. And so all really I got of the concert was the concert viewed through her iPhone. It was fantastic. It was a great concert. No, I'm kidding. Like all, all, the entire time, I just wanted to reach up and flick that hat off of her head. I didn't want to cause a scene, and she looked like she was having a, a fantastic time, so I let her enjoy that. You know, in the moment, I remember thinking how instinctively we change our posture. Your favorite song comes on the radio, and, and some of us, it's just instinctive. You just lift your hands. Throw my hands up. <laughs> Bobbing my head, moving my hips, and we don't move our hips here. This is not a... I'm just kidding. But like, it's instinctive. It's almost in our DNA, our standard operating system that we just, we just can't help but to lift our hands. We can't help but to respond in some way. And I got to thinking about that. You know, it's no secret that I'm a dashboard beaten, sing at the top of my lungs, air guitar, raising my hands in the air type of a guy. And that's just natural to me. If there's an air guitar section in heaven, I'll probably be there. That's where you'll find me. Do you find it interesting that we're, we're willing to do that at sporting events? Like, you know, you go to your favorite, your favorite team, you go to, their, to one of their games, and, um, you know, they, they, they score a touchdown. Um, you know, Cowboy fans, I know you don't know what this is like, but, like, when you score, you... Like we instinctively throw our hands up in the air. Yeah, we scored, you know. You're on a roller coaster and everybody does what? Throw your hands up in the air uh, at, at high school games. I love it. This is like in the, in the student section. They've got this cheer where they've got the guy that stands up there and he go, throws his hands up in there. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's really fun for young people. But... Um, like instinctively we do that and, and it's just a posture and I'm just, I'm curious. I'm curious. Why is it changed when we come to church? I'm just curious. It, uh, out of curiosity, um, how many of you were raised in a hand-raising church? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you were not raised in a hand-raising church? Raise your hands. Ah, see? Already raising your hands. In church, how dare you? <laughs> it's just, a, it's, it's kind of a funny phenomenon. It's like, you know, 
in any other place. And then you get to church and it's almost like, you know, when you step onto an elevator and there's a couple there and they're making out and you feel, you're like, I don't know that it's wrong to do that. I just feel awkward. You know what I'm saying? Like PDA, man, get a room or something. And it can kind of feel that way in church. Like, uh, you know that the people that, that's, man, they're hand raisers, you know? But we don't, I don't do that. I wasn't raised that way. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. Like, I'm just curious about it. And I'm wondering if we're missing something. Now, my, listen, my goal not, it, it, today is, is, not to, uh, is, is not to manipulate you into being a hand raiser in church. My, my goal is, what if we're missing something? What if there's something more, it, it, maybe it's not mythical, maybe it's not magical, uh, but perhaps it's biblical. Maybe there's something about lifting my hands that makes a difference. Sunday morning worship starts and the leader says, if you're comfortable, lift your hands. And you're like, nope, <laughs> not me. You know, I may shrug my shoulders a little bit, you know, even put a little sway on. But to lift my hands, that's crazy. That makes me uncomfortable. That's awkward. Why are you doing that? Stop that. <laughs> It's interesting to me. I, I want to go ahead and give you the end of the message so that you know how to prepare. I'm going to challenge us at the end of the sermon to stand and lift our hands. To stand and lift our hands. And, but I'm going to take the next few moments and I'm going to tell you what that means and why we do it. But I want you to start to kind of process through and think through what does that mean? have to do with me. Here's the thing, I believe that we can ratchet up our praise. I believe that, that we can be the type of people who don't just worship God for a 20 minute segment on a Sunday morning. I actually believe that we're designed differently. I believe that we're designed to be the type of people that worship every single day of the week, not just Sunday. A.W. Tozer said, if you're not worshiping God on Monday the way you did the day before, perhaps you're not worshiping him at all. I'm like, A.W., chill, man. <laughs> Easy, bro. But like, that's convicting to me because I feel like I can get into an environment like this and I can worship with full abandonment and like really engage in worship, but then Monday comes and where's that worship again? You know, where am I connecting with him? I'm actually convinced that changing our posture when it comes to prayer and worship has a profound effect on our relationship with God. And I want to test this theory this morning that changing my posture, raising my hands, lifting my hands in prayer and in worship has the power to honor God, transform my heart, and encourage those around me. Matthew 22, or Matthew chapter two, we read right in the beginning of the gospel, you've got the birth of Jesus, and you've got these men that come, uh, that are coming to worship and to honor him, and you've got these wise men that show up, Matthew chapter two, verse two, and they say, for we saw the star in the east, and we have what? We have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. We've, we've seen the star in the east and we've come to investigate? No. We've come to interrogate? 
No, we, we've come to, um, to receive all that we can receive from the king. No, we have come to simply do what? To worship him. In fact, a few verses later, it says that they wandered around and finally came to the house where Jesus was born. And they enter into the house. Now, how many of you guys know they brought gifts with them? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and the scripture says before they even offered the gifts, they bowed down and they worshiped him. I believe there's something to be said about that. Before you ever are convinced that you have something to offer the creator of the universe, he deserves our worship. They said, we've come to worship him. And, and that's really the reason that we are here. That's why we have come to this place, to this house today. You're not just coming to kick the tires. You're not coming to just dip your toe in the water at Timber Creek. You're not just coming to hang out with some good people, although all those things can be true. We've come for this intense purpose to worship him, to bring honor and glory to him. I wanna remind us that worship isn't just a part of the service or a religious thing that happens. Worship, you can write it down, isn't just something we do, but something we are. It's not just something we do, it's something that we are. I don't have time to go into all the intricate details of this, but sir, ma'am, did you know that your job can be worship to the Lord? Did you know that your parenting can be worship to the Lord? Do you know that your hobby can be a worship, an act of worship to the Lord? Like our lives, uh, in, in, in him we live and move and we have our being. And God finds pleasure in the living of life, in the breathing in and out. When you wake up in the morning, everything that has what? breath praises God. You don't have to be in a worship service with a great band to honor God. You can actually wake up in the morning and know that the moment that you turn your gaze towards him, you begin to worship him. It's not just something we do, it's something we are. It's not just part of a Sunday morning service. Sometimes I'm guilty of coming to a church service and even thinking, you know, God is kind of this genie in a bottle. <laughs> He is this, um, you know, uh, slot machine that, that if I put enough coins in there and pull the lever, that God will bless me. If I do enough of the right things, if I say the, the right words, if I come to church and I kneel and I bow and I pray and I shout and I lift my hands and that, that I'm going to get God's attention and he's going to respond to me. But really that's not what it's all about. Um, he was not created for you and me. We were created for him. And we get that twisted sometimes, don't we? We're here to worship him. So we don't worship to get something from God. We worship to give something to God. So I come in on a Sunday morning and I, and, and I hope they're playing my song. <laughs> I hope they're playing my song, the one that I like, the one that, that really gets me going. I hope the sermon is good today. I hope I get what I need to get out of church today. And I'm guilty of that sometimes. When really it's, it's totally the opposite. 
when I come to worship God, it really should be, God, I hope you get everything that you deserve today. God, I hope you get everything you deserve today. I hope by the end of the service that I'm so empty because I've poured out everything to you because you're worthy. God, I hope my ears are open to hear from you. I hope my heart is moldable so that you can transform me from the inside out. I hope that I'm not hindered by pride. I'm not hindered by sin. I hope I'm, I'm not hindered by those around me in, in worshiping you and giving you everything that you deserve. I'm not here to get something from God. I'm here to give something to God. This means that worshipers at the very core are givers. We're givers. At the core of every worshiper is a heart of generosity. And that's why when we talk about when it comes to offering, and thank you those, for those of you that are you're, you're flexing the muscle of generosity, you're worshiping God. And we worship him with our giving because we're just generous people. And I wanna know when I got to heaven that I've emptied myself out of everything I could to worship him. And to be honest with you, probably gonna get to heaven and, and I'm gonna wish I'd have done more. And I'm gonna, wish I, I'm gonna wish I had worshiped more. I'm gonna wish that I had give more. But God, I wanna give you everything because worshipers are givers. John Ortberg said this, I love this. He says, I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude. And I plod through life with blinders on. Worshiping reminds me that this world is not about me. That the stars and the planets don't revolve around me. So what does this have to do with raising my hands? Do I have to lift my hands when I pray or when I worship? Do I have to? Like, is this, is this a command to? That, um, is there something magical or mythical about this? No, but I believe that there's something biblical about it. I want to challenge, I just want to challenge our thinking for a few moments. I, I'm not interested in, uh, in, in causing a frenzy in the room. I'm not interested in, in, uh, in pushing some, uh, some, uh, churchy, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it. I'm not interested in that today, but I am interested in us responding biblically to who God is. And I'm just curious, and I want you to hold on with me for a few moments. I'm just curious, could we be missing something if, we're, if we refuse to lift our hands? Could there be something more? Could we be engaging in a type of worship that takes us from where we are to where God wants us to be simply by changing our posture, I think it's possible. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Psalms 134 says, praise the Lord all you servants of the Lord who minister by, by night in the house of the Lord. What does it say? Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Psalm 63, four says, I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. Psalms 88, nine. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Nehemiah 8, 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen and amen. Deuteronomy 32, 40, I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear. I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> as surely as the Lord live forever. 
Lifting our hands in prayer and worship, it's biblical. And I'm convinced that there is something powerful. There's something powerful that happens when we lift our hands in worship and in prayer. So let's talk about it for a few moments. What happens when I lift my hands? What happens when I lift my hands in worship? Write it down, number one, it moves the heart of God. It moves the heart of God. There's something about it. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I remember when our uh, kids were little, little babies, and uh, new parents, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, early in the morning, for some reason, 5, 6 a.m., you start hearing a banging on the wall, and you're like, don't, don't move. <laughs> don't respond, be quiet. And it kind of moves from a little whisper to a roar. Mom? Dad? Somebody? <laughs> And I can remember hearing that and then, you know, you kind of elbow your spouse, it's your turn, it's your turn. And so you get up and you go into the room and most of the time I would just frustrate, I just wanted 10 more minutes. And you walk into the room and, and open the door and, and there they are in their crib, got their hands lifted up to you saying, mom, daddy, and our kids would do this, daddy, hold you. Oh, isn't that sweet? I know catches me every time. <laughs> hold you, hold you, and I mean melt you in seconds. And I didn't discipline her in the moment. You know you should be sleeping and you should be quiet. Mom and dad are trying to get more. No, I run to her and I pick her up out of her crib and I hold on to her. Hold you, hold you. And it's almost like when we reach our hands up to God, and I just get this picture in my mind as James is saying, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And, and so many times we resist, the, 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 we resist uh, the, the urge to reach out to God. And, and in that moment we think, is God gonna discipline me? Is God gonna be mad at me? Is God gonna throw the book at me? No, he's gonna run to us and pick us up, scoop us up in his arms. And we gotta reach out and say, hold you, hold you. It moves the heart of God when we reach out to him. He's not a God that's up there angry at you, ready to pull the belt and, and whip you across the face with his belt. He's not that type of God. He's the God that's full of grace and full of mercy. He poured out his judgment upon his son 2,000 years ago on the cross called Calvary. So if we're walking around with guilt and shame and fear from a God, we don't understand that the moment I reach out to him, it moves his heart and he comes directly to me. He comes to us. Aren't you thankful? Oh God, I'm so thankful. I reach out to him and it moves his heart. When I lift my hands, number two, it's an acceptable offering to God. David says in Psalms 141, verse one and two, oh Lord, I'm calling to you, please hurry. You ever had that prayer? God, I'm calling to you, please, please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. What is David saying? David is running for his life. 
Many of his psalms were written in, in these desperate places, in desert places, far from the temple where worship and incense was offered. And he's saying, I can't get to there. And I don't have anything to offer you, God. But in this moment, would you accept my prayer as incense and my lifted hands as an offering to you? How many of you have ever been in a season in your life where you have nothing to give? You've given all that you know to give, and, and you're in a desperate place, and God, I've got nothing of value to offer you. I haven't done everything right. In fact, I've messed everything up, but all I can offer you is lifted hands. Please accept my prayer as incense to you and my hands lifted as an offering to you. And you know what? God accepts that, and he receives that worship. Aren't you thankful? It's an acceptable offering. Before you ever offer your gifts, before you ever give in an offering, before you ever do something you think is of value to God, may I encourage you, offer your hands to him. In, in, a, in an act of full surrender, God, I've got nothing. You own a cattle on a thousand hills. You, the, the earth is your footstool. What could I bring to a God who owns everything? I don't have much, but what I have is yours. It's an offering and we offer it to him. Every time we lift our hands to the Father, it's as though we're offering a sacrifice of praise. It's an acceptable offering. Number three, when I lift my hands, it's a call to battle. It's a call to battle. You still with me this morning? We good? It's a call to battle. When I lift my hands, it's a call to battle. Exodus chapter 17, Moses is leading the children of Israel. They've, they've come through the Red Sea and God's been leading them a, a, a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. He split the Red Sea. They've walked over on dry land. Moses has struck a rock with his rod and water has come out. God is doing the miraculous. God is showing the children of Israel, I am your God and I will be your provider. And they, and they reach this point in the story in, in Exodus chapter 17 where they're gonna face their first enemy. The first real test. And this is the first time we hear about a, a young man named Joshua. We'll pick it up in verse eight and it says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites from Rephidim. And so Moses says to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I'm trying to picture Moses at this point. I don't, Joshua, I don't know what to do. I don't, I'm not sure what to do. So here's my suggestion. Get some men together, rally them, put some swords in their hands, and go and meet them. Now I'm gonna go up on this hill with the staff. I've seen God move and do some incredible things. I don't know what's gonna happen but I'm gonna go up onto the hill with my staff and let's just see what happens. Let's just, let's just see what happens and see if God won't fight for us. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, verse 10. As Moses had ordered and Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And verse 11 says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So let's practice, let's, let's practice together, everybody. Hands up, we're what? We're winning! Hands down, 
losing. Hands up, we're... Yeah! <laughs> That's dumb. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> but I'm like, you should read the Bible. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm reading this scripture, and I'm thinking in my mind, here's... Here's Moses, and he's on the, on the hill, and Joshua's down there, and they're fighting. Aaron and Hur have gone up with Moses on the hill, and, and they're noticing, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. Oh, we're losing. We're losing. What's happening? What's going on? We're winning, we're winning, we're winning. Oh, man, we're losing again. And then, and then Aaron, maybe he looks over and he says, wait, wait, wait a minute, Moses, staff up. Winning. Okay, lower that staff. Losing. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Moses, put your staff up again. Put it down, put it up. Hold that staff up. And Moses says, I, I can't, I can only hold on for so much longer. Get a stone and put it underneath him. And the scripture says that they put a stone underneath Moses. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But when, that, when, when, when he put his hands down, they were losing. And so they put a stone up underneath him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands. Aaron, get one side. I'll get the other side, and let's hold up the hands. Until we see that we've won the battle, hold still. Moses, you're not on your own. You're not doing this by yourself. We're here with you. We're supporting you. Are you with me? Something incredible happens. The, listen, the Bible is full of wondrous supernatural things where God says, it's not about you, it's about me. I'll go before you and I'll fight your battles for you. A couple of quick thoughts on this story. So incredible. Number one, this was no ordinary battle. This was no ordinary battle. The end of the scripture says, and Joshua won by the sword. And, and most of us would say, Joshua was an incredible swordsman. He was an incredible leader. And yes, he was probably those things. But that's not, won the battle. that's not what won the battle. We could even say, well, Moses, as he stood up on the hill, it was an inspiration. He inspired the team. And he pulled the victory through. And, that, and that's not even true. There's something supernatural that was taking place in this battle. And I want you to know that in your life there are some battles that aren't physical battles that can be won through human strategy. If I could just figure it out, if I could just come up with the right strategy and the right plan, if I could just come up with enough money, if I could just uh, fix my spouse, if I could just uh, tell my kids, you know, this certain thing and write, uh, read this certain book and, and, and put these certain things in practice there are some battles in our life, are you listening to me, that aren't physical battles, they're spiritual battles. And they will not be one outside of us surrendering to God in worship and prayer and with lifted hands. This was no ordinary battle. Some of the battles you're facing today in your personal life, your marriage, your business, with your kids, your family, these are battles that will not be won outside of just the hand of God in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Say power. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God 
and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are not just physical beings going on some spiritual journey. We are actually more spiritual beings going on a very temporary physical journey. And my fear is that most of us live in, in, a, uh, in a realm in our own lives where we are fighting physical battles, being exhausted. And God's saying, you've gotta surrender. You've gotta live a surrendered life. Let me take control. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm not trying to be hocus pocus spooky up in this place today, but I am trying to, uh, to, to communicate the fact that there is a battle that's, that's being waged, that's beyond what we can see with our eyes. And a battle that can be won through the lifting of our hands in worship and surrender to God. Watch this. The battle was won through the lifting of hands in prayer and worship. Joshua had all the best men. He had, he had gathered himself a, a great fighting crew, and Moses had staff, a staff in his hand, which he had, had parted the Red Sea. Maybe that's the key, and God was leading with cloud by day and fire by night, and the battle was won by the lifting of hands. Some of us today, we don't see victory in the areas of our lives simply because we're unwilling to humble ourselves and surrender to him. That's the truth. Some of us are fighting battles that we cannot win because we're unwilling to humble ourselves and surrender to God. I love this too. The battle was, uh, it, it would have been lost had Moses not had the support of Aaron and her. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the values here at Timber Creek Church is we won't do life alone. And that's not just a cute statement that says we love community and small groups and we ought to serve together on a Sunday. We really believe that we are the body of Christ, connected to one another, serving alongside one another, but also supporting one another. You, you ought not pray alone. You ought not worship alone. You ought not go through battles in your own life by yourself, and yet we, that's what happens. We start going through a, a situation in our life, in our battle, and what do we do? We recluse, we hide, we, we, we get away from people, and that's the enemy's tactic because he knows that if you're in community with other people, when you get tired and you can't lift your hands anymore, you've got people up around you, you've got brothers and sisters around you to lift you up. Some of you are clapping because you know what I'm talking about. You went through a hard situation and it had not been for the people around you that supported you and helped you and said, I know you feel like quitting today, but give it another day. I know you don't have strength, but let us be the, strong, the, the strength for you. Allow us to lift you up and encourage you. And I'm so thankful for our pastor who leads this church so well. Would you just, would you put your hands together for our lead pastor? <laughs> pastor Jeremy, we love you. Pastor Jeremy, he'd be the first to tell you, I'm not, I ain't no Moses. <laughs> he would even say, I'm the lead servant here. Like, uh, but this man prays for and intercedes for this church and has vision and heart for this church. And he pastors this church so well, but he can't do it on his own. 
And, and we live in a society uh, where it's so easy, we, we become critical and we scrutinize and we point fingers and we place blame rather than support and love and lift up and encourage. And I just, I just wanna take a moment to say, I'm so thankful for a pastor who leads us so well. And I wanna challenge us as a church, could we, could we lift his arms up in prayer as he helps lead us in the vision that God's called us to do, amen? Pastor Jeremy, we wanna lift you up and encourage you. I believe the battle would have been lost had Moses not had the support of people around him. So I believe that lifting our hands in prayer and worship moves the heart of God. It's, it's an acceptable offering to him and it's a call to battle. But this morning, you, you may still be uh, slightly skeptical. You may be saying, I'm not doing that, it's not for me. And you know what, you don't have to. I'm, I'm just suggesting that you try it today. I'm suggesting that you do something a little different today. I'm suggesting that we, we change our posture. It's one thing to say in my mind, I've, I, I've made a conscious decision, but it's a whole nother thing to, to change my posture in response to who God is. So why should I lift my hands. As we close this morning, number one, write it down, lifting my hands honors God. So why should I? Why should it be? Because this is a um, hand-raising church or because my neighbor's doing it? Um, some of us are like, I refuse, you, you, uh, anything you tell me to do, I'm not going to do. <laughs> You're like, that's my kids. That is my children right there. We just refuse to Oh, God, help me. I know there's areas in my life where I just, I clench up. God, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> but how prideful of us. God, help us to be the kind of people that we respond so quickly when God speaks, when he moves on our hearts. But lifting my hands, it honors God. Philippians chapter two, verse nine and 11 says, therefore God has highly exalted him. Who's that? Jesus. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. That's everybody, it's everybody, <laughs> everybody. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I wanna tell you there's a day coming where every single person who has ever lived will shift their posture when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes into the room. I promise you, I'm convinced of a few things. I'm convinced of a few things. I'm convinced that our loved ones that pass away would say 100%, please give your life to Jesus. Please put away the foolish things of the world and surrender your life to Jesus. I'm convinced that every single one of our loved ones would, would call back and say, please give your life to Jesus. Receive the gift of salvation. And I'm convinced that there's coming a day where every single one of us will adjust our posture, bow a knee, lift a hand, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I wanna be the type of person who will do that. And I don't, you're not forcing me to, oh God, I want to every single day. Because of what you've done in my life, I want to worship you. You are worthy of honor and glory. Lifting my hands simply reminds me who has fought for me, who intercedes for me, 
who has died for me on the cross and was raised from the dead for me, who has mercy on me every single morning. His mercies are new. I don't have to rely on old mercies, on leftover mercies. His mercies are new because my challenges are new. His mercies are new because he knows that I need a fresh batch of mercy every single day. Lifting my hands reminds me of who that is. He's gracious and he's kind and he's forgiving. Had it not been for Jesus, where would I be? Lifting my hands honors God. Lifting my hands is a reflection of my heart. Uh, there's a reason that we have at the end of the service an opportunity for you to respond. Again, it's, I don't want to take away the, the significance of you having a cognitive understanding and a response to God. We can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but there's something to be said about God moving in our heart that changes the way that we think, and now it shifts my response. I respond in some way, and so at the end of the service, and we, we have our teams come forward, I'm always a little grieved by those that walk out of the room that didn't respond in some way. And I'm not saying that we all have to respond every Sunday, but when there's given an opportunity, you should respond. If God's moving on your heart, this is an opportunity for you to say, yes, Jesus, that's me. You're speaking to me today. I'm the one who needs salvation. I'm the one who needs healing. I'm the one who needs deliverance. That's me. And so when we lift our hands, it's a reflection of our, our hearts. And number three, lifting my hands, it encourages those around me. I was 17 years old, and you guys, some of you have heard this story before. On my way to being a full-blown alcoholic drug addict. Uh, my story is all too, all too common. I went to a youth service, and I, don't, I couldn't even tell you what the, sermon, what the sermon was. I have no idea. But at the end of the sermon, an, an invitation was given to anybody that, that wants to surrender their life to Jesus. And I gave my life to the Lord that day. I went up and I bowed my knee before God and everything changed that day. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that something had shifted in me that the old was gone and the new had come. Therefore, there was a new creation inside of me that God had started something new in me. Now, it was gonna take the rest of my life to try to get Egypt out of this heart, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had delivered me from Egypt that day in that moment. And I remember standing in that service and I got up and I had all these teenagers gathered around me praying for me. And I just want to encourage you teenagers, you've got a friend who's lost. You've got a friend who's far from God. Keep praying, keep pressing in, keep inviting, keep living your life because God will do a work in their life. And so I got up out of that moment and I looked over and I can still picture it in my mind over to the left side of the auditorium there was this, uh, this guy named Philip Hayes. I still remember his name. I remember what he looked like in the moment and he had his hands stretched up as far as he could to heaven tears running down his face and I remember in that moment thinking I don't know what he's got but I want it I don't know what's going on in his life, but I've got to have whatever that is. And from that moment on, it's inspired me to be the type of person that worships with everything that I have. And I remember thinking, wow, he has no idea 
the kind of impact he had on me in that moment and how it's transformed my life and how dare I come into a worship service thinking it's all about me. In my, in, in my sacrifice of praise, there are people, there are young people, there are old people who are going through uh, situations in their life and they just need to see you worshiping with everything that you have because it encourages them. It encourages them. First Timothy chapter two, verse eight. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, in every place of worship, say every place, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. And my wife said it, amen and amen. And there are parts in scripture, there are verses of scripture that we could read and it says men and, and, and they're t in the Greek, they're talking about everybody, everybody in the room, all of mankind. But this particular verse, Paul is talking to the men in the room. And he's saying to the men in the room, I'm encouraging you every place of worship, I want you to stand, lift your hands in worship. Aside from anger and controversy that just continue to fuel us, I want you as a man to stand and lift your hands. Why is he saying that? Because it's difficult for us men. For whatever reason, pride keeps us sitting in our seat with our hands in our pockets. You're not gonna tell me what to do. I wasn't raised that, that, that way. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be guilty of standing up and making a uh, fool of myself. And I'm telling you, the enemy will keep you in the situation that you're in until you're ready to surrender and move in a posture of honor to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul is saying, I'm encouraging every man to stand up and lift their hands. And as we close this service today, I wanna say to the men in the room, you are men of influence. There are young men, old men looking to you to lead and the enemy wants to keep you silent, wants to keep you still with your hands in your pockets. But I'm telling you something supernatural happens. As I was praying and preparing for this service, I felt that the Lord wanted to say to you, be willing to be full of courage and boldness and stand to your feet and lift your hands to a holy God and watch what happens to you and your family. Men all over the place, Stand up, lift your hands. Men, I challenge you to be the type of men that God's called you to be. Be full of boldness, be full of courage. Be the type of warriors that your family needs, that your wife needs, that your kids need. Be full of the courage and the boldness of God. God is calling men to move forward, and I'm telling you, it changes the atmosphere. Everybody, come on, let's join them. Let's stand together, sing that song. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. It's all that I have is a Come on, Nacogdoches, come on, Crows.
David said, I will not allow the rocks to cry out in my place. All of creation is designed to worship God. They don't even think about it. They worship, they worship God. And, and yet we in our moment, we choose whether, David says, I'm not gonna let a rock cry out in my place. I'm designed to worship. I'm designed to lift my hands. I'm designed to be someone who surrenders to God. And many of us don't lift our hands because we feel like it's a, an act of weakness and I'm just surrendering. No, it's an act of surrender and victory in the kingdom of God. When we lift our hands in surrender, we're actually choosing victory. So I'm believing for some of you, I believe for some of you, you've never lifted your hands before and, there, and there, a shock wave has shifted through your body. Some of you thought it was this uh, hocus pocus thing and you're walking away today with the understanding that when I lift my hands, it's an act of surrender to God and he's honored by it. It's an expression of my heart and one of my favorite things is encouraging to those around me. Jesus, we love you today. We lift up our hands, oh God, as a response to what you're doing in our hearts. We lift our hands to you, a holy God who's worthy of our worship, who's worthy of honor and praise. God, I pray over the men in the services today, those that are online, those that crows, those in Nacogdoches, every single one of them. God, I pray that they would find victory in you as they surrender their lives to you. And God, I pray that we would not just be a church that's known for raising our hands, but we would be a church known as a, a, a people that surrender to you, that worship you, God, Monday through Sunday, and we show up on a place on, on Sunday morning, and we're ready to give you everything that you're worthy of. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.